Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today, we're going to be discussing something that is very close to my heart. Star Wars. But more importantly, and specifically, Star Wars games. So why Star Wars games out of what seems to be left field? Well, because recently, as of, I believe, two days ago now, Lucasfilm's Games is, by the way, is that a new title? I haven't done my research on that specifically. But um, anyway, Lucasfilm Games announced a couple of things. One, a new Indiana Jones game, which is, sounds pretty cool, honestly. And the other, a open world, massive open world. I don't think like an MMORPG, I just mean like a, uh, you know. A Red Dead sort of thing. Uh, Star Wars game. Developed by Ubisoft. Specifically Ubisoft Massive. Or, yeah, I believe that's what that specific branch of Ubisoft's called. They're the ones behind The Division. So, mixed feelings about that. But, um, what this means is that the... Uh, exclusive contract deal that they had with EA is now done and dusted. Now, that doesn't mean EA will not be developing Star Wars games. It just means that they don't only, they, they don't have to be the only ones developing these games now. And that's great for really every reason. Now, it's not all peaches and cream, but it's, but it's, it's much better than what we had before because the problem with exclusive deals is if somebody hands this brilliant and beautiful body of work that has so much rich lore history and such a strong fan base and they hand it to somebody who may, you know, have developers who love it but publishers who just think printing money is the only objective when anybody who's smart that works at Star Wars knows specifically for Star Wars and of course, many other things. The greatest wealth way to print money for that IP is to make the fans lose their goddamn mind. I mean, you you don't you, you think of the throne room scene in Last Jedi. If you had to pick a cool, like a singular cool scene from the Star Wars new trilogy, right? Maybe the um, finale uh, hallway scene with Vader on Rogue One. Not to say that those films don't have other interesting or cool scenes just to say that those ones stick out because those are fan service that makes every star wars fanboy or for the most part every uh star wars fanboy that's a mouthful um lose their mind mandalorian did something really unique where it tapped in to not only this these old 50s western comedies and spaghetti western um themes and tones but also just exploring kind of somewhat a new but familiar section of star wars and doing it well and doing it in a way where fans will appreciate it it's not meant to print money i guarantee to you if they really wanted to they could have made a trilogy film series of the mandalorian right but they decided to put it on disney plus make it 30 minute to 45 minute episodes and actually release these seasons every week Every episode releases every week instead of putting it out all at once, which I think is a very interesting decision. 
um, in this age of binging. I'm not against binging, but I think actually one of the great design strategies behind Mandalorian, not away from the actual show itself, is the fact that they decided to drop it every Friday, you know, once they, you know, once it started, you know, once the season came out, if you will, then they started dropping it every week. So that way you have, what, seven to eight weeks worth of Mandalorian. And that cuts down on that wait time for the next season. Not by much, but by enough. And it also has people watching it at the same time and talking about it at the same time. It makes it feel more like a community event. And if you can tap into a community event feeling for a Star Wars fan base, you've done yourself a great service. Lucasfilm, please hire me. So anyway, that's... um. That was a genius, genius move. I don't know if they're going to do that for their other new uh, Star Wars IP. I hope they do. But um, but if they don't, as long as maybe if they put one more like that and slate it in a different way, that way, I, I assume they will. That way, once they get those shows up and running, Disney Plus is never without new Star Wars content monthly, which is a really, really smart idea when you have the rights to to Disney and the rights to to uh I'm sorry the rights to Star Wars they they are Disney they have the rights to Disney stuff too I guess and the rights to um Marvel I mean it is too much nobody should have that many uh that much power that much IP I I do think it is a little too much but I do also think if anyone is stable enough to keep those franchises alive it is them it's not 20th Century Fox it's not Sony it's Disney and Star Wars has been through a rough transition phase. A very rough one. Like, high school rough. Four years of pure agony, puberty, confusion, and, and, and just pure mental health issues and insecurities. God damn. Star Wars has been through a rough, rough one. But we are seeing the end of the tunnel. You know, as much as Rise of Skywalker kind of tripped, fell, and tumbled down, uh, Mandalorian pulled through. And it shows that this Obi-Wan series and the... Oh God, there's so many new Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus, and I assume there's going to be a new film trilogy. I think that's in the in talks. So anyway, Star Wars is turning a new page, and it's going to mostly be about Disney. It's not going to be directly connected to the Skywalker saga. I, they made that break intentionally to say, hey, we love this saga, we love the fans, but we can't please the old generation, the prequel generation, the new generation, and everybody in between. And I don't blame them. If you want to give sympathy cards and, and thank you cards to any human, any film director, it should be J.J. Abrams. Not only did the man take on the new Star Trek prequels, which actually are really good, I think, and really reinvigorated the series. Yes, more action-oriented than the original shows, but still reinvigorated the series for modern times back in 2009 and, and you know, all the way up to, what, 2017, 2016? Um, so he not only did he do that, which is one part of the sci-fi, you know, nerd fan base, if you will. And then he did Force Awakens. <laughs> and then he came back and did Rise of Skywalker. So when you have two Star Wars films and two Star Trek films under your belt, I can't imagine the stress. No, I don't think people realize how stressful it is to make a film. You might imagine it, but it, it's, it's extremely, extremely stressful. You've got a lot of pressure, a lot of weight, literal lives on your hand. You know, people are working for you. You're, you're putting food on the table. 
Also, if you're doing dangerous stunts, you could accidentally kill somebody. So um, it's a lot of pressure to make a film. And a film not just for the people who you're in the room with or for your own dreams and aspirations, but a film for the most, uh, one of the most uh, uh, healthy and one of the strongest fan bases in the world. So that's a long spiel about my, uh, my ideas on how Disney is really switching things up. They, apparently this EA video game contract was going to last a little longer. And specifically today, we're talking about Star Wars games, but of course I'll be referencing the movies and some TV shows and other things that I know about. Now, I'm not a Star Wars professional. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's one of my favorite films, one of my favorite s- sagas, franchises. Um, I've always loved Star Wars since I was a kid. Um, and so I've played as many games as I can. Uh, I, I haven't had time yet to watch The Clone Wars, making all this music and getting through um, college. And, and, you know, I have to prioritize shows with my family. So I, I don't have time to watch TV on my own. But uh, I'll get to that eventually. And um, and the video games. I've always, you know, I'm a big gamer, as you could tell from this channel. And Star Wars games is one of those things that it's not like a direct adaptation of a movie. It's not like making a Harry Potter game, though. I am excited to see what that does. It's not like making a, um, I don't know, you know, any other movie, a Matrix video game, which did come out before my time. Uh, I, quick, you know, quick overview of my gaming history so you can understand why I haven't played all these Star Wars games. I'm only 20. I started playing video games at a very young age, I'd say five, but I didn't get my first real game console till I was six, six and a half, and it was a GameCube, and up until I was about 12, I wasn't allowed to play M-rated or teen games, and I didn't buy many video games, I mostly rented them back in the day of Blockbuster, and, and able to physically rent games like that, so um, I had a few Le- uh, a few Star Wars games, right, Force Unleashed, Lego Star Wars, um, I think I tried that terrible Kinect Star Wars game. Um, but I, I didn't do Knights of the Old Republic, right? I didn't do, uh, you know, all these other Star Wars games. I didn't, I, I actually played the original, not the original, Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the original Battlefront 2, um, back in that, what, came out in 2004. I did play that. I, I got that, and that was amazing. I didn't get it, actually, I didn't get it, sorry. My friend had it on his PlayStation. We used to hang out all the time, so I played it at his place, and I must have logged at least 15, 20 hours in that game alone. So I'm so I'm just putting that as a disclaimer. I'm a big history, a big Star Wars fan, and I'm history. I didn't mean to say history. I'm literally reading my notes saying I'm touching on the history of Star Wars games. Um, my history. But but that's that's kind of it. That's the gist of it. I've played a handful of Star Wars games. I've always loved Star Wars. I'm a fan, but I'm not. Uh, I won't catch everything. I don't read all the fan fiction. I, I, not because I don't want to. I just don't have the time. And that's just one of those the sad realities of trying to make music, make films, be in college, do podcasts, and do everything else I'm doing. But it's all good. So we're going to kick it off with um, some of my more in details of my personal experiences on Star Wars games, where it kicked off, where it resonated with me. And uh, yeah, so stay, stick around after the break, and I can't wait to discuss more about Star Wars video games. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 
I am uh, very glad you can come and listen to Psychic's Thoughts once again. Today we're discussing Star Wars games, and uh, I was kind of touching on the history and a little bit of my experience, but to go a little more in depth on my personal experience with Star Wars video games, not just nerding out about the movies. Uh, it all started on a dark and gloomy day when I was six or seven. And uh, at the time, I had the flu, or some variation of that. I don't actually think it was the flu, but it was something... I felt like I was dying, right? I was six or seven, it was awful. And I had the GameCube. Still one of my favorite consoles. And go check out that podcast where I reminisce and talk about the GameCube. Um, But anyway, I had the GameCube, and um, my dad was going to get... uh, He was picking up some food. I was staying home sick for the week. It was bad. It was real, real doozy. And, you know, he decided to cheer me up. So he went to block, he went by Blockbuster. He got the, uh, he rented the Lego Star Wars 2 original trilogy GameCube disc. Uh, of course, I was already a Star Wars fan by that time, so I was pretty excited. Uh, I heard things about the game, just never really played it. And I don't know why, but I was only six or seven at the time. So, yeah, it's not like it's too late into the, uh, into the Lego Star Wars universe. Popped it in and I played it. And I think it was actually the first time I ever binge played a game. And at the time, binge playing a game for me was beyond an hour, hour and a half. It's not because I didn't like video games. It's just because my parents didn't want me to be on it too long. Or I just had other things to do. So, I, um... By other things, I mean like go outside and play or, you know, have friends over. You know, things like that. I didn't just sit and play video games. Um, Now for fun... I kind of do that. I mean, I also write and record and produce and make movies and all these other things. But um, when I'm just kicking back by myself, I'm usually just playing video games. Um, Maybe watching a movie or a show by myself, but that's rare. So now I have VR, and I will be making a podcast on my Oculus Quest 2 headset, what I think, how much fun I'm having, and um, just as a little teaser. It's fucking awesome. So... I'll just leave that for you. But anyway, so Lego Star Wars original trilogy, Lego Star Wars 2 original trilogy, is the first uh, game I binge played. I think I played for three to four hours while sick. It actually, I wasn't feeling good. <laughs> like it was, I shouldn't have played that long and I didn't want to put down the controller. I think that was the first time ever. And of course, uh, my dad told me I had to take a nap to rest. You know, hated that. But... <laughs> But oh, when all said and done, uh, I think I had that for the weekend, uh, I believe, uh, if not longer. And I had so much fun on it. I think we just, I, my parents got it for me for my birthday. Because I think this was around uh, like a month or so before my birthday. So I think they got me that game for my birthday on GameCube. Oh man, I played that game religiously. It actually got me the prequel trilogy version as well. So I played both of those all the way through by myself when I had friends over we played uh that was the most played game in my house of all my video games and I had plenty you know I had Mario Kart Double Dash on GameCube and that was a killer uh all these other games that were you know that I love and still love to this day but uh but Lego Star Wars really took the cake and that's what really blew me away was the fact that first of all there's no dialogue this is before Legos start talking, which still fucks with me to this day, and I don't like it, to be honest with you. But um, So all the comedy was slapstick, physical, and 
by facial expression, and somehow they did a really good job at conveying those parts. Also, it was frame-by-frame frame recreation of the films, which I love, and I was always a film guru, and I always, like, religiously watched the films, so I picked up on all that stuff, right? The mouse droids you could shoot, just every little detail was put in brick formation in Lego, and so not only was it almost damn near the most faithful recreation of the films you could see in a video game medium, other than the fact it's Lego, but it's also making fun of the movies. It's also, you know, paradising everything and it's actually funny jokes and it's funny punchlines but it it still keeps the same beat the same path you're still doing the story of the film even if you know your arms pop off when you're trying to open the garbage chute door or whatever i don't i don't even remember all the the things and it's incredible because you get to play around in these worlds in this environment that you if you watched the films like me, grew up watching and always longed to be some further part in it, to be more absorbed into the world beyond just the film medium. And that's what video games do in general. And so to have that was incredible. Now, of course, graphics-wise and all these things, it's not like it's trying to be the recreation of Star Wars itself, right? It's just... Because it's Lego, I really do think it actually gave them the, the ability to make, remake the movies as a video game. I don't think any other franchise could do that. And of course, you know, Lego's famous. Lego video games are famous for doing that. And I think that's, that's just really an incredible way of making a good video game. And that was my start. That was my heroin addiction. And... You know, and then I... Still at the time of Blockbuster, so, you know, video games are expensive. So we didn't buy video games unless it was a special thing, special occasion. And over time, I racked up plenty of video games that I owned. But whatever, it was a Star Wars game or a more violent game, like teen-rated, when I was only eight or nine, I was allowed to play it. Star Wars, my parents were, of course, more lenient on. And, um, and I rented them. And I just, I don't think I ever actually bought, like, Battlefront 2 or anything like that. Of course, I only had the GameCube. I didn't have the original Xbox or PlayStation 2. Um, so, you know, that was my introductory console. Now, I was actually, my introduction to video games, and I've mentioned this many times in other podcast episodes, was Galaga and Pac-Man and a little arcade and Atari, because that's what my dad was raised on, and he said, you know, he figured, might as well raise me on the very first games, like Pong and all these things, first, um, before I get into, uh, the bigger games, just to give me a kind of baseline and to kind of test and see if I actually like video games. It's pretty ingenious, I think. And to this day, I'm still quite good at Galaga. I actually have an arcade cabinet in my house, and it's not it's not working right now, of course, during quarantine. Of course it's broken. But, um, yeah, I, I got real good at Galaga uh, back in 2017 I, when I got this arcade cabinet. I started to religiously play that game every night for at least 30 minutes to an hour before I hopped on Xbox or anything else and got really good at that. Good for, like, not professional good, just good at the better than I ever thought I could do. And it's kind of rote memory, so it popped me in front of a Galaga machine. Went to an arcade with a friend last year, actually, and uh, I made it for about 25 minutes on one Galaga run on a quarter. <laughs> so, 
and that's what that's the games I was raised on, and so Lego Star Wars was kind of that bridge. Um, and there's a few other games, of course, a lot of movie adaptation games in the early 2000s. I'm talking lots: Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of uh, Narnia, uh, Shrek, Shrek Go Kart Racing. I mean, there there were a lot. A lot. Disney. I actually had Mickey Mouse Disney uh, soccer game. I had Mario Baseball. GameCube was uh, pretty awesome. And so Lego Star Wars was one of those staple games that I've always played. And when I got my 360... Um, oh, no, sorry. I'm skipping over the Wii. And then I got Force Unleashed. Big boy time. Holy sweet Jesus. Now, when you're just 10 or 11... 10... Eight, eight, nine, actually eight or nine. I got it in 2008. So I was eight and nine. Uh, getting the Wii. I might have my timetables mixed up here. But anyway, when I got the Wii, uh, a couple months into having that and loving it, I got Force Unleashed. And oh my god, I've never played a Star Wars game like that. Up to That's that graphic, that gr graphic in terms of violent, that graphically capable, all these things. It blew me away. Hindsight's not the best game ever, right? But as a kid, never playing another game, oh my god. And it's still very fun. And I think people who played it on 360 missed out. Playing it on Wii, swinging the saber, using the nunchuck to pull people in. Oh, wow. Different experience altogether. I played on my friend's 360 once. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's more like a hack and slash button masher, though. On, on the Wii, you're more in-depth. You're more, you know in that world and that was really fun and then of course i got force unleashed 2 and you could like i think you could chop limbs at that point and that was really awesome and, and uh yeah, a few other little star wars games here and there nothing much i wasn't i didn't do rogue squad and didn't do any, any any of these things because i didn't have the consoles i wasn't old enough x y and z um so i was craved for something more and as i got older Right, and I was finally allowed to play COD and Battlefield and all these other games that I that I still love to this day, uh, some of them at least. I uh, I was craving for a new Battlefront, right? I mean, I knew of Battlefront too. I played it a lot at my friend's house. I'm like, why don't we have a new one adapted for these days like Battlefield? Literally was telling myself that in 2013 and 14 as I was really playing Battlefield 4. And uh, my dreams came true somewhat. And that's where we're going to go into some of the worst Star Wars games from 2014 to almost now. Stick around after the break. Thanks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you for tuning in and listening to Psychic's Thoughts as I discuss Star Wars video games. Now, um, real quick, it might sound like I'm burping, gasping, or choking, or choppy flow. <laughs> like a rapper but i'm just using a noise gate pass filter because uh my dad's on a conference call and my mic picks up everything and when i'm recording a rap song i usually have a beat and i can spend more time better mixing it podcasts work a little differently of course so um if it sounds a little funky that's why but i wanted to record in my mic to give you that clear booming mellow voice that you all have come to appreciate i hope um so yeah, I, <laughs> I love Star Wars, right? And I was raised on Star Wars games. And I was always telling myself, why don't we have another Battlefront? 
a modernized like not like call of duty because i knew that's not how that works but like like battlefield like right brought up to speed in the current times of the bustling 2013 and maybe 2014 whenever and I think it was in t summer of 2014, E3, where they announced that little snippet of that AT-AT, uh, I believe, walking by, right, to allude to uh, Star Wars Battlefront. Man, the hype. At the time, right, I was 14 and I was an idiot, so I didn't realize EA was all that bad. I liked EA games, and really, for the most part, EA wasn't too shitty at that at that time, from what I understand. You know, they were pumping out. Well, they were just... 2014, they were just on the cusp of killing off every good idea they've ever had, like Dead Space and Mass Effect and uh, Dragon Age. And I don't think anything really invigorated any f sports series they had under the belt. So they were kind of starting to fall off. Um, of course, they still had a few breakthroughs, a few gems over the years, no doubt. But for the most part, they've been just dealing us. 75% shit, at least, right? Uh, and that was kind of the start. And the problem is, you fuck up with Star Wars, you fuck up your person, your 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 reputation, not your personality, your reputation for a very long time. Um, I don't make a Star Wars fanboy mad. And I genuinely don't think for the bulk of Star Wars fans across the uh, galaxy far away... That were too particular. That were like, oh, you didn't have, you know, we're pretty accommodating. Um, not all the time. By no means is it everybody that way. There are some weird fuckers in the in the bunch, of course. But um, for the most part, a Star Wars fan of any kind would be like, oh, okay, well, you know, shit happens, right? Star Wars fans are used to being disappointed. Prequel trilogy, um, X, Y, and Z amount of shows, cancellations of every kind. And, um, you know, so we're used to it. But games is more consistent. And games have this way of pulling gamers and fans of whatever IP the game's about, pulling them in and creating a hype train better than any movie could. I mean, PR for gaming is ingenious in the way it gets you excited. Because they're trying to make you buy in early. Or make you, even if you don't pre-order. Does it matter if you pre-order if the company knows that you're going to buy it regardless? Right? I mean, pre-order is just the official stamp saying, they got you. Right? And it's not always bad. Plenty of great games. To this day, <laughs> video game industry still going strong. Right? But the issue with EA is that what made them the the giant that they are, and this always happens, you see this constantly, what makes them the giant they are now is different. It's pure carnivorous behavior. It's nothing of what they used to be, where they you know, tried to make genuine games and tried to make them as good and as enjoyable as possible and to use their ever-growing amount of resources to bring that sense of graphic realism to the table while also delivering a fun or solid game. And it feels like they've kind of slacked on all of the above for the most part. I mean, sometimes it has one component. You know, some game might have a decent story, and then the rest of it's shit. You know, it's just there hasn't been a, a home run slam dunk kind of game in a while. 
I would say Battlefield 1. I would say Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which we'll get to. Um, Titanfall 1 and 2 are really good games. It's a shame they don't get as enough publicity. So, you know, they've got their, they've got a few, but they don't have enough, nearly as many as they used to, when you think about what EA has created over time. So, Disney signed this exclusive license deal with them in, what, 2013, as soon as Disney took a hold of the, uh, after George Lucas sold Disney. Disney knew video games was the market to tap into, they knew EA was big hitters, and they're like, yeah, fuck it, you guys seem to be good track record, we'll give it to you for a decade. And... That's that's that deal, and so from 2013 or so on, you you only see Star Wars related video games from Electronic Arts, and the problem with doing that is, for that long, I can see three to five years giving it a shot. But if you do it for a decade, what happens if that company sucks and you realize that you can't back out of your agreement? Why would you invest something like that? Clearly, Disney didn't understand the power of video games in terms of compelling fans and printing money, right? At the end of the day, they're a corporation. They do care about their products, clearly. They do put a lot in, but they want to also maximize profit without losing time on making things that they found more important, like the new trilogy, right? (laughs) These were all announced at the eve of uh, Force Awakens. And so... They were probably more concerned with the films, rebooting that, and I don't blame them. But at the same time, you do have to diverge more thought, really, into video games. And I think they've learned their lesson from EA. I really do. And I think they understand the trend. The film industry, the amusement park industry, unfortunately, all has taken a slump in this horrendous time of the COVID-19 epidemic. And... um, But, but video games has, for the most part, persevered. Now, production of video games, you know, these poor developers have to be at home doing that. Not an easy time. And it's probably going to delay a lot of games that were going to come out in this year and, and next year, of course. But the games that did come out, they didn't slip or fall because it's digital. You play at home, right? The entire concept of gaming is pretty, pretty safe COVID-wise. So... Um, I think Disney sees that as well as just the fact that it's a massive industry and has a lot of moving parts in it and Disney can put their finger on the scale and I think they're going to want to tap into that because video games, as amazing and as evolved as it has become, is still a new form of art when you compare it to cinema or to uh, books and literature. Same with hip-hop. So (laughs) they're about the same age. Anyway... So um, it's just really interesting when you see that because EA has done fucked us over in the past eight years now. And as you can tell, the math doesn't add up. They're in a 10-year contract. They should have been done by 2023. Clearly, Disney has found a way to reduce that by a couple of years because as of two days ago, as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, the doors have opened and now, of course, Lucasfilm Games, right, subsection of Lucasfilm, which is a subsection of Disney, they have to approve and and review and make sure it's consistent and canon and all that, but once it gets cleared by them, they kind of pick and choose who gets to develop what kind of Star Wars game. So it's no longer just EA. Now, EA's clearly staying in, as they've said in their memo, and that's a little unfortunate, but it's better than just them, because... 
in eight years, if you're a development and publishing game studio, if it was Activision, we would be in a different ballpark. I'm not saying it'd be better. I'm just saying we would see probably 15 Star Wars games by now. You wouldn't see like full full on AAA, like you know, damn near close to a full on scale, right? Because they can churn out Call of Duty like that. Um, EA does take more time on certain things like Battlefield and all these things, and that's fine. But you would think somebody who wants to print money and has exclusive rights for a decade, and that's all they know they have it for, would jump at the opportunity to make the best games, to set the benchmark, to pull people in, and to make a franchise of video games so Disney would want to renew their contract. If I had half a brain, which I like to think I do, I would do that. And of course, EA was just like, ah, well, what if we just don't do anything smart about Star Wars-wise? And that's what they did, because the first game was like a beta, almost. It was buggy, it was glitchy, but beyond any of that, which you can get over over time, God bless Cyberpunk, um, they didn't make a game. It wasn't a full-fledged game. It was like a trial. It, I actually, I did play the trial of the free trial of Star Wars Battlefront, oh, the beta, right, of Battlefront, the first one that came out in 2015 or 2014. I played that you know, a month or so before its release. I knew I was going to get that game. I was so excited for it. And um, and it was cool. It was a cool beta. I was I was blown away. The sound design and the graphics. Well, I've never seen a Star Wars game like that. And I do have to give credit where credit is due. The visuals and the audio is out of this world to this day. And then I got the full game. I was really excited. I'm like, ah, sweet. And then I started playing it. And I was on Hoth again. And I'm like, oh, wait, I've done this. And I'm like, okay, what other maps, right? You got so many to choose from, right? So many different places. You could probably make a new one. Nobody would even know, right? They had, f they had four. <laughs> four maps. Four maps. And that one, I don't think they added... They, they did. They added... Um, my God, my brain's leaving me now. The planet Ray's from. They added that. As a DLC to hype up the movie Force Awakens. And that was actually a really cool map. I did like that map. And that's it. That's all they really added. That was a disappointment. The game was okay. It wasn't too fun. It wasn't addictive. There's an addictive quality to multiplayer games, specifically multiplayer shooters, that you can tap into. Call of Duty does it beautifully. Battlefield does it beautifully. And there's some... And I don't know how to explain it, but there's a game that you play, and even if you like it, for the most part, what makes you want to keep coming back for more? Maybe it's a little bit about progression. Maybe it's a little about getting better. Maybe it's just because you really just had a fun time and it was really immersive, right? It's kind of a, a little bit of all of those combined together to make a beautiful center point. And so some great games do it and some great games don't quite hit it, but they do enough. This game didn't do that at all. It was a good game, but it was like a tech demo. It was hollow. And anybody who was playing it kind of felt that. And luckily, DICE, who are great developers, they make Battlefield and all that. DICE and EA did say, you know, they apologized and they understood their mistakes. And so they went on to make the acclaimed, <laughs> the highly and critically acclaimed Battlefront 2. Not to be mistaken with the original Battlefront. And Battlefront 2 should almost deserve an entire section on its own. But I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. So... 
Where to begin? Well, first off, when they were hyping up this game, by the time Battlefront 2 is announced, the first one that they released was pretty much dead in the water. It was dead in the water within the first month. No one played it. There was nothing to play. You had about six hours of decent gameplay, and then from that point on, you were just treading old water, and it wasn't even dynamic enough to keep the same maps or same game modes. I mean, look at Rainbow Six Siege. Great game. Uh, I don't play it as much as I used to, but it's one of my all-time favorite multiplayer games. They added operators, they added all that. You know what they haven't added? A new game mode. They've had the same two or three game modes since six, five and a half years ago. That's insanity. They've added new maps, characters, guns, models, customizations, bug fixes, tweaks, all these things, but they've never added a new game mode. Isn't that insane? That shows the power of... Sure, they still added content. If they had what they had in the first months, it would have died as well, but... That's the power of good game design, the dynamic of that game, of 5v5, one life, different meta and operating mechanics per operator. Everything's unique, and it's like a chess game. I mean, that's what keeps people coming back for more. Battlefront didn't even, couldn't even hold that. So even if you have four maps, if you can make a game that is superior in terms of mechanics and gameplay and, and intrigue, Maybe you can get away with it until you add a couple more maps, but even then, it doesn't help, and they didn't even do that. So it kind of fell dead in the water, and I think they realized that. So they really just decided, yeah, we're not going to support this game. We're just going to build a new one from the ground up. And they did. And the hype for that was like 200% more than what you got last time. More maps, more content, spanning three trilogies. A, um, a campaign, an actual campaign. Um bunch of different operators. It actually looked like the battlefront we have all been waiting for. The massive scale. The amount of ships. Not four maps, but I think they opened with 18. And since then, it's like 27 now. A bunch of different game modes, operators, guns, classes. It's everything a Star Wars fan wanted with good graphics. And, you know, DICE is no slacker on good gameplay mechanics. And it does play very, very well. And if they just kept it at that, it probably would have been the best game. Now, I personally think there was some addictive quality, that kind of that fine point I was talking about earlier, that was a little lackluster in that game, regardless of all the other things that came through. And actually, I went back and replayed it last summer, and um, the, whatever they fixed mechanically, I don't know what it was, makes that game much more fun and addictive and wanting you to come back and play more regardless of the fact it's a Star Wars game from a gameplay standpoint. So that's kind of cool that they fixed that. But after, before we get into all the fixes they've done, let's talk about the reason why they had to fix the game in the first place. You know, you've heard it before if you've ever been around me or if you've been around a Star Wars fan or a gamer or any combination and in between. They're microtransactions. EA's microtransactions on Star Wars Battlefront 2 was upright egregious. Now, it wasn't much different from any other loot box microtransaction scheme that these big publishers were pulling. But it was the straw that broke the camel's back from a government level. And that's pretty bad. And that's, that's how powerful Star Wars is. You fuck with Star Wars and the government gets involved. Um... Of course, ours didn't, because America is a capitalist-leaning, uh, uh, not leaning, capitalist-heavy. We, we like to waterboard ourselves in money. But um, but other 
countries that are more fair to their consumers did. And so um, they sued the shit out of EA for what is gambling. And that actually makes a lot of sense, and I never would have thought of it like that when I was playing it. But it's gambling. Basically what happened was they made the game so ridiculously difficult to actually unlock Vader or Skywalker or anybody and to get those power-ups that you want that you just genuinely want, and that actually do help gameplay, and I'll give them credit for that. Those power-ups were effective. You could only really get them from buying them. Some of them were exclusively only to be bought, and some of them were just so difficult you'd have to spend... I think the calculation was to unlock one hero, like Vader, to get those amount of credits. You would have to spend 45 hours in-game without spending a penny, not getting a cosmetic item, not buying a star card to upgrade your player, not to buy a, maybe a less expensive hero. Actually, I think they're almost all priced the same. Nothing. 45 hours straight gameplay, not spending a single one of your credits from your gameplay to save up for Vader. That's not, that's not. oh, it's part of the grind. Okay, maybe three to five hours. Maybe ten, if you really want to make it difficult. Sure. 45 hours, not, n n no. For one hero without spending anything else, that was intentional. That was to make somebody feel hopeless and to make them buy in. And they couldn't even buy the specific character, and that's where they really fucked up. If they had a store where you could say, okay, or you could just buy this character outright for a buck fifty or whatever, maybe they would have gotten away with it. I'm glad they didn't, though. But instead they said, okay, well, if you want the character, buy... The basic loot box, the premium, you know, five different types of loot boxes. The, of course, the biggest one being the the one that has the highest chance of rolling a rare or legendary thing, and with the most content is of course the most expensive, usually like twenty five bucks. Almost half of the actual video game. And it's crazy because they actually said the DLC and every update is free, which is great. I love when developers do that. <laughs> but they're like, nah, you can't actually play all the game unless you have money. And the then the most detrimental part of that from a gameplay standpoint, regardless of the fact that you're actually forcing people to gamble, kids more specifically, who don't know any better and who want that Darth Vader hero power-up. Then, on top of all of that, those who did pay who were Star Wars fans, who maybe had the money and could pay and wanted to make that choice, which is fine on their part. And those who did buy the Epic and Legendary Star card and whatever were genuinely so much more powerful. It was an unbalanced game. So this paywall was, wasn't just cosmetics like Fortnite. It actually was giving you better stuff that made you more powerful, which is unfair. Because some people can't afford it. And that's... I think that was one of that in the child gambling kind of idea. That's what really brought hellfire down. And developers and publishers at EA defending it on Reddit, making the most downloaded Reddit. I mean, all the controversy spinning around. Different nations banning the game as a whole until EA could fix it. And then Disney had to step in. And let me tell you something. I don't know much about Disney. But what I do know is that... They haven't really been much hands-on with their video games. They usually outsource it, which is understandable. Now they're becoming more hands-on, which is great. But they, they were more hands-off. They just were like, here. You know, they set some guidelines, probably. And then they gave it to a developer who they thought could do the work. And then they said, fucking make it, right? <laughs> when they have to step in and bitch-slap EA to make them fix a game 
you know, that's an issue. So they did. And now, actually, the game's fine. There's no microtransactions of that kind. I don't think any. No loot boxes, nothing like that. You can play all the heroes for free. You just play them. And the gameplay has been fixed enough. Um, it's a little unbalanced, though. You could tell that they built the core gameplay mechanics around the fact you had to pay. But it's okay. It's a little, they've been patching it. And it's actually a solid game now. Battlefront 2 now is much different than it was when it released, and it's actually a good game, and I do recommend you play it if you want that Star Wars immersion. But the problem now is the fact that this game could have been the Call of Duty, the Battlefield, the kind of game that people would be, millions of people would still want to be buying right now, two or three years down the road. Like Rainbow Six Siege, right? And that games really, really depend on a good launch window. It, it is almost a make-and-break situation. Now, they can fix themselves later like No Man's Sky did, which is an incredible comeback, and they're happy with it. They're still getting new players every time, and that's great, but at the end of the day, you're not going to keep those players that you could have from that hype train if you fuck up in the first month, and, and or a few months, right? And that's what Battlefront 2 did. And so I could pretty much just end the worst games, Star Wars games, on that because that um, that broke a few laws in some nations it had to make disney step in and it was just genuinely not a fun game even if you bought everything it wasn't as addictive as some of the other games out there and it's a shame because the graphics were incredible the gameplay mechanics were smooth the audio was amazing it was immersive it was actually everything we dreamed of for an improvement for the most part above the first one that they released right in scale and scope and in demand, but then, of course, they had to put some stuff that was directly counteractive against the consumer, who, if even if you don't care about your consumers, you ought to if you're doing Star Wars stuff, because they're the ones that really float the boat for you. And that, that is the most pivotal turning point for video game industry as a whole. Microtransactions and loot boxes are diminishing. They're only on Battle Pass tiers now, thanks to Fortnite, which, honestly, I don't like any monetization in a game. I want a game to be fully built and polished and playable. But I do understand that maybe they need more money, especially if it's a smaller developer, or whatever the case may be. If a Battle Pass is only cosmetic and there is a free tier that anybody can have and then a premium tier if you want to buy in, Okay, not nearly as bad as loot boxes and buying individual things. So I'm okay with that if, if I had to pick and choose. Um, you know, if you got a season pass, which gets you extra content, uh, discounts on that, and the battle pass, okay. You know, I might, I might, on Rainbow Six Siege, I bought the season pass for a while. It's one of my, it was one of my favorite games. I'm like, let me help out the, the team. They didn't need any money, but you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I love the game. I want to keep playing the game, right? If you like it, it's your choice. But, And I think Battle Pass gives you more of that flexibility without being chokehold into a point where you can't do anything. And unfortunately, EA carries that model in their sports games, Madden, NHL, all those games, which I like a lot and I want to keep playing. And I like the multiplayer mode, mode more than the single-player mode for the most part. So I liked NHL HUD a lot, but it became I became addicted to it in an unhealthy way. I only spent like $30, but still. And I got the game for free on gold. So it wasn't the end of the world, and I cut myself off from it, but that was bad. I wanted I wanted Kovalchuk 99, and I wanted a fucking Ovechkin that was above 86, but, but you have to pay for that, and you're paying in packs. And so they actually keep loot boxes and microtransactions in there. And that sucks for sports fans who only maybe only buy sport games. I can't even imagine 
the level of frustration for FIFA players. My lord. So, hopefully EA will change that as well in there. Um, I have many good ideas to change sports games that I would love to pitch to you all in another podcast episode. But that, that was kind of that down slope that made EA's reputation tank. It bro- I mean, they were already on the verge of breaking everybody, but that really tipped them over the edge. And quite frankly, I don't think they're ever going to fully recover from that. I really don't. I don't think you can fuck up Star Wars that bad and be like, well, nothing happened. Um, they're still suffering the consequences to this day, and it's been, what, three and a half years? A lot happens in three and a half years, <laughs> right? And they're still suffering from that. But they're overall holding strong. But with Mass Effect Andromeda and, and Anthem and all these other things that they have screwed, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate. Really, it is. Because they do hold a lot of great developers and they hold a lot of great IPs and things that we all loved to play when we were younger. And they're, they're, uh, they're dropping the ball left or right. And Battlefront 2 in 2017, 2018 was the tipping point for EA and for Star Wars games and for gaming. That's really changed the fundamental of how we monetize games beyond the point of just buying them. And then we've had two games since that. We've only had four main Star Wars games come out of EA in almost a decade. That's bad. That's a bad. That's real bad. <laughs> oh, man. Because there's so many ideas. I mean, people have been wanting a pod racing game. They want another Knights of the Old Republic. They want this and that. And you could do that. You could do another... You could do a Mandalorian open world game. I mean, there's so many options you can do and explore in the world of Star Wars. And one of the largest gaming corporations ever decided for half of their entire catalog to be the multiplayer shooter that it couldn't even do right on that front. One, to be a flight simulator action game, which seems really cool and fun, and I've heard it's good, but it's not game-changing, and it's only for people who really are interested in that kind of game. So out of the four big Star Wars games they've had, unless I'm missing any, the Galaxy of Heroes doesn't count. The, the one good game that has come out of EA is one that is a no-brainer. And we'll get into that into the best Star Wars games coming up after this break. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Psychic's Thoughts. I appreciate you coming by and listening to me blabber on about Star Wars video games. It's a great passion of mine to blabber on. Um, so we talked about a little bit of the history, my personal experience, the worst games and controversies. Um, so the best games, best Star Wars games. Now, I can't speak on all of them. In fact, I can't speak on most of the best Star Wars games because they were before I was able to play them. So take that with a grain of salt. But I am aware that, for the most part, the Star Wars uh, community loves Jedi Academy 1 and 2, um, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Rogue Squadron, and a handful of others like that that I am missing. A lot of people do appreciate Force Unleashed for the difference and um, kind of just that fun God of War-like thing. Uh, people aren't going to put that on the top three list, right? But uh, it's up there. And, of course, the uh, the Hail Marys, the, the 
the greatest of all time Star Wars games being Battlefront 1 and or Battlefront 2, most likely Battlefront 2, since it improved massively on the mechanics of the first one. And of course you've got your others like the Revenge of the Sith movie one, and it's just a bunch in the time of Lucasfilm's games when it was just really them and they were trying everything. Um, but with every golden nugget, you got a brown turd, right? So you've got Star Wars Connect, which is just weird. Um, essentially, Force Unleashed 2. It, as fun as it was in certain parts, it had a nine-month development cycle, which is not good for a game. Maybe a human, but not a game. And... Um, you know, there are countless others. The new Battlefront 2, the new Battlefront 1. Um, just every, almost everything else in between, other than those few. So, there's not a lot of Star Wars games out there. Lego Star Wars, right, those are top tier. Um, but there's not a lot of Lego, Lego, not a lot of Star Wars games when you think about it. When you compare it to... Call of Duty, where you compare it to the Battle Royale genre as a whole. You don't see as many Star Wars games as you would think you could, considering the fact that they would go hand in hand, right? Um, and maybe the the part of that reason is because it's difficult to do that and to really hit on that. But Obsidian Games pulled it off, and, uh, you know, DICE did pull it off with Immersion. With graphics, audio, and the gameplay mechanics. You know, they, they did a phenomenal job. And I'll give them credit for that. So there are developers that can do it. And when given the resources, follow through on many parts. So the question is, the relationship between the publisher and the developer, um, and, and more importantly, the consumer and the Star Wars fan. And, and this is something I've always carried with me as a philosophy when making a film or an album or whatever I do, and how I look at other things that are created. It's not the what what are your boundaries, but not in the sense of um, what can or can't you do from a financial or resource standpoint. Of course, you have to take that in consideration before starting anything, but what can you do within the confines of being good but not overdoing it or, or reaching too high and not quite touching that ceiling and it in that space in between being apparent to anybody that sees it and you see it all the time in short films you know this production value is phenomenal and this idea may be really solid but for the time in between when you're actually watching the film or watching the characters you're like, oh, it's good. I like the visuals, and I like this and that, and maybe bits and pieces. But for the most part, it was just like, okay, well, that was a movie, I guess. Um, plenty of movies do carry as much story, impact, weight, and make people remember them from uh, being set in one place with a low budget, right? It, it's just understanding the story, what it needs what you have and making it so it actually fits like a glove not too big or not too small and that goes for video games i think right now we're seeing um kind of a detox of open world games being completely barren and by barren i don't just mean empty spaces and nothing to do i mean oversaturated with pointless shit to do that no one cares about 
Uh, I know Cyberpunk's getting a lot of hate right now, and I know that it's not a perfect game. It has many mechanics without the bugs and glitches it needs fixing, but one thing that I have found um, immediately in my 50 hours of playing that so far is that moment to moment, there's not a dull moment. And for me personally, I like that. I like running around the map. It's immersive. It is when it's running well. It really, the world of cyberpunk, of Night City, pulls you in. Every encounter, for me, is interesting. Fallout 4, on the other hand, of course, it takes place in a nuclear apocalypse, so maybe it's not. Grand Theft Auto 5. Great game. When you play through the story and the main things, maybe a few side quests, like five. Um, and just dicking around is always fun in Grand Theft Auto. That's kind of the appeal of it, but... You can't actually do as much as you might think you could if you didn't have mods and if you didn't have friends. If you're just playing single player alone, okay, sure, you can race around. Sure, you can crash into things. Sure, you can steal a fighter jet at the military base, and that's all fun, but that's really all you can do. You can golf, okay. But you, you know what I mean? It's just not as engaging as Cyberpunk, where... Now, it's a loop. There's a gameplay loop in Cyberpunk. You stop this person, you save this person, you kill this person, you hack this thing, you steal this thing, right? But it's actually really fun in the process of doing that, and it, I think it's well-spaced. It's not like Assassin's Creed where you're sitting on a tower. You're jumping from towers. I'm pretty sure that game is just a way for people to practice suicide at this point. So um, I haven't played any of the recent ones, and I used to be a big Assassin's Creed fan, so maybe I should hop in and try some of the new ones like... Uh, the brand new one, Valhalla or whatever. But my point being, open worlds has had a detox in the sense of having pointless shit to do. Uh, to minimize that, you can still have a few pointless things, right? A few filler, but you know they're kind of trying to hone in on that. And I think one game that really did a very smart decision was Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. My point being, they they didn't have too much loose ends and they didn't cut out too many things they they knew what they were making they made it and they made it as well as they could within the systems that they did and i think that's the best thing you can do about anything really do the best you can in the circumstances you're given and it's because they didn't say we're making an open world where you can hop galaxies in a spaceship I mean, I still want to see that kind of game, but I'm glad that the way that they built this game was not meant for that world. This game was exactly like Sekiro. I mean, almost Dark Souls Sekiro light. Star Wars light version. And those are some of my favorite kinds of games, and I'm a Star Wars fan, so I really connected with that game. Um, surprisingly, I didn't like it as much as Sekiro's Shadow Died Twice. I don't know why. Don't Don't judge me. I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than I am a From Software fan, and so you'd think combining those things would be the holy grail, but something about it was a little less fun for me than in, than going into Sekiro, but that's a personal thing. I still think what they did was, let's make it semi-open world, which I think is great. You get to open, open level. They're very big. It's not like you walk around a corridor and you're like, okay, that's the world. No, they're very big. You could get lost in it for hours, but um, it's not just one giant open world. And it's there's a story, a very well-told and animated story. And the gameplay mechanic is refined to be Jedi combat. 
it's probably the best Jedi combat thing ever. It's not just hacking and slashing like Force Unleashed. You have to dodge, you have to time, you have to parry, you have to use the Force. There's some puzzles, there's some heart-wrenching scenes. It is an all-around phenomenal fucking Star Wars game. And it's the only one we've gotten in almost a decade. Maybe in a decade, actually. And that's that's where... That's why Star Wars is hemorrhaging in games right now. Because that's the best they've done. And by far, that is setting the benchmark. And it's a great game. But there's no reason that they couldn't have done that sooner. Or that they couldn't have done two or three things similar to that. It doesn't have to be like a Sekiro-like Star Wars game. It just has to be thoughtful. Very thoughtful. It was very thoughtful. It was fan service. It was a new story. It was a new way of looking at Star Wars and playing it. And it was also no microtransactions, no DLC, no bullshit. They didn't they even said it wasn't gonna have a sequel. It now will because it outsold their other games. And, and that's the biggest message I think big game developers need to learn. Regardless of hype, if you make a good game, first of all it'll last longer and it'll sell. And I think you'd rather get that sixty dollar buying in or seventy now than a buck fifty for a hairpiece or whatever in a game. That's better longevity, because every time you inject some microtransactions, it takes away from someone wanting to play that game in some capacity. So if you don't have microtransactions, it's not a multiplayer game. If it was, it would have. Um, it's just one of those things where it was well done. And it was an apology game. It was it was EA saying, I'm sorry. And they got Respawn to do it, which was smart, because Respawn, nobody hates Respawn. They've done Titanfall, 1 and 2, Apex. They're made of veteran... Um, uh, game developers and then they made Jedi Fallen Order and they are a phenomenal studio they're like arcane studios they don't fuck up and if they do they own up to it and they fix it unfortunately they're under EA <laughs> it's, it's the Dyson and, and Respawn I wish somebody else would buy them out or they could be on their own because they're too good to be there so and, and that's that's the message of the day that that was that hope and that came out in 2019 so um you know like october of 2019 and it was incredible game blew everybody away and i think that's really important because not only does it show that ea knows how to do the right thing it's not like they couldn't make a good game they have more resources than any almost any other game studio and publisher they just chose not to they chose to print more money or what they thought would uh, instead of making a good game that would sell better and that's kind of that illusion that big game studios are in right now they're like let's just minimize work and costs of making a new game let's put one game out let's do little updates DLCs patches and microtransactions and milk every penny out of the gamer the problem is you have to make a good game first and you have to make it non-intrusive purchase points you don't do that you've lost the entire reason to put microtransactions in a game if nobody plays the game right that's the, the you can only people would only buy a microtransaction in a game if they feel like they're going to keep playing the game that's why fortnite did so well it's a free game for one that you could just download and play and you don't have to spend a penny if you don't want to but because of that initial buy-in price of nothing it being a well-built game and fun for many people I like it too. I just don't love it that much. I, you know, uh, play it every once in a while, like once a year. Um, they already had the perfect ingredients to make a trillion dollars. 
you know, not a trillion. They've made a billion, though. A billion from a free-to-play game. And that's how important, because they made a really well-played, refined, and and um, accessible game. And that's that's the power of doing that first. They put that first before they worried about microtransactions, at least. That's how it appears. So, I think that's um, that's a lesson to be learned. And I think that will, in a couple years, we'll, that will solidify more and more. We're already seeing that. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 was a brilliant, brilliant comeback for the series. I don't think Cold War is nearly as good, but it's still good um, in terms of new engine, finally. New graphics, new mechanics, light adjustments to make it a little more realistic, a little more grounded. A w amazing campaign, right? And um, and they didn't even have a battle pass or microtransactions for the first month and a half, month, two months and even when they did you don't have to buy into it if you don't want to you still get the maps you still get the updates you still get attachments and guns and things that affect the game for free as long as you play it it's ingenious i can't even shake a stick at the microtransactions because if you want to buy the battle pass and have a few more cool blueprints and and um some more coin then by all means. And if you played that game and only mainly that game, which I did when it came out, it was my main multiplayer go-to, and that's what I played for the most part. Um, I bought in when it was on sale. I had some extra money left over from Christmas. Bought it for like $5. And you, excuse me, you accrue COD points throughout that season pass. So if you get near the end of that season pass, you have enough COD points to buy another season pass. That's all I did. So I only ever paid 5 bucks on... COD Modern Warfare Season Pass, and I made it through every season up until Cold War. So, there you go. That's how you make a game, I would think, if you want to pump microtransactions. So, Jedi Fallen Order being able to not even have that, for it to just be a single player, and a well-made one, refined with its mechanics, its graphics, and its story. I mean, they got Forrest Whitaker in there, for God's sake. Um, it was a good job, all around. And... Honestly, if they started with that, I think everybody would still appreciate that game and like it. I don't think it would get nearly as much praise as it is now, only because of the amount of disappointment and just poor game implementations that they've had for this past decade. So yeah, they're fixing the course, and the new Squadrons game is kind of like that too. It's a light game. They already You kind of know that buying it. It's only 30 bucks. It's not a big game like Jedi Fallen Order, right? So the, these past two of their four games, their four big ones, have been course correction, but a little too late, right? Because they only started doing this in the past year and a half of the 10 years they've had this studio, had, had sorry, Star Wars IP, almost 10. So it is, uh, it's pretty unbelievable, really. And that's what uh, segue in, segues us into the future of Star Wars games and uh, our conclusion. So stick around. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening and everything. I, uh, I'm i really happy to be doing this episode finally. So we were talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, essentially. And uh, so where does this leave us for the future of Star Wars now that EA is no longer exclusive with uh, the Star Wars IP and video games? And we're going to have many more studios cracking uh, cracking at it. A caveat, though, Disney is money-hungry, so they, they will be only, for the most part, putting people forth who 
make money, like Ubisoft, like EA, like Activision, whomever else. Just keep that in mind. I wouldn't be surprised if down the road we'll see a Disney Games studio, considering they have Marvel and Star Wars. <laughs> and Disney stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see an exclusive Disney game comprised of veterans from other studios to make Disney-related stuff directly from the horse's mouth. Um, but regardless of that, for now, we have Lucasfilm's games, which is cool. And with that, the first big announcement, Star Wars-wise, is that they have... First of all, they've announced Indiana Jones as a game to Machine Games, which is under Bethesda, which is under Microsoft. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but for Star Wars, we are now, as of two days ago, as I've said before, Ubisoft is now partnering with um, Lucasfilms Games and Disney, of course, to make a massive open-world Star Wars game. Coming? We don't know. What kind of open-world? We don't know. What's it going to be about? We don't know. What's the title look like? We don't know. Who's starring in it? We don't really know. Who are the developers behind it? Well, the division makers. And... Wow. Like, <laughs> it's one thing to... I mean, it's good that EA is no longer the only person. And Ubisoft is a good gaming studio, depending on which branch of Ubisoft is making a game. Personally, I think Ubisoft Montreal is one of the best. Um, of course, I'm biased because the Rainbow Six Siege, but Tom Clancy's stuff, they usually knock out of the park other than The Division. Uh, and some of the, the most recent um, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, but Recon Wildlands, um, Rainbow Six Siege, and I like Splinter Cell. Blacklist. It's one of my personal favorites. I know it's not a fan favorite, but I liked it a lot. So, uh, the makers of some of the new Assassin's Creed and the old Assassin's Creed, they could do it. People behind Rainbow Six, they could do it. Um, the people behind Division, you're going to give them a Star Wars game when they couldn't even... Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't want to make a podcast about the Division, but here we go. Um... I was actually pretty excited for that game. It sounded like a really cool idea. I like the Tom Clancy stuff. Um, and I was, you know, Rainbow Six was young, and it was fun. It was a cool idea to see a, a post-New York, kind of like I Am Legend, mixed with Secret Service. It was like a really cool idea, and a kind of a good, a fun little action RPG. It was boring. It was so boring. I sold the game in the first year. I don't usually do that. I usually give myself some time. I mean, Destiny, the first Destiny was um, had its faults and was boring at times, but even Destiny I, I still have to this day, and I've played the first... Destiny 2 is better, of course, but... Um, but Division, man, that was a colossal screw-up. I don't know. It's not, it's not microtransactions. It just wasn't fun. It was a grind, and it wasn't... Man, they really missed the, the, the ball. And then they released Division 2, what, last year? Two years ago? And they apparently improved on a lot of the mechanics. Like, actually, people are like, this is actually a pretty fun game. And I played the demo, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I still didn't buy it. And I should have, because it actually looks pretty fun, and I might 
visit it now to prepare myself to get an idea of what these people are going to make in this Star Wars game because those are your only two games. Division 1 being not great and Division 2 being okay, much better than the first, which just makes it okay when standing against other games. I don't think that's a good idea. I really don't. If I was Ubisoft, I would not do that. I would... I just wonder sometimes who makes these decisions. Like, really. Out of all of the talent at Ubisoft, and there's a lot of it. And it's not to say that these developers themselves are bad. It's just to say that they haven't struck gold and they haven't they haven't established uh, faith in the community after their two big games, Division 1 and Division 2, not doing great. Second one, much better, and it shows that they're there for the improvement, and that's good. So I'm not dissing the actual developers themselves. I'm just saying their body of work is lackluster. If you have a resume and you're and you're looking to be hired for a Star Wars production, I feel like you should have at least a couple decent projects under your belt. I mean, look at Ron Howard, an acclaimed film director, one of the best uh, American film directors out there. And Solo was mediocre. And that's not entirely his fault, I know, but I'm just saying. Even the best can't always pull it off, so God help us if... Now, of course, they could also just strike gold and become a, an Obsidian-like thing or become like Respawn. But when you look at Obsidian and Respawn and Arcane Studios, there's a difference in the way they make games. You see the love, you see the effort, you see the compassion. Even CD Projekt Red, even though they fucked up, and they are their own publisher, and so that makes it more complicated. And so they really shouldn't have released Cyberpunk in the state it was. They should have delayed it a couple more months, even though they had financial pressures, their investors were going to pull out, and they were getting death threats individually at home. So, I mean, you kind of put them over a barrel there as a, as a fan base. I mean, I, would have, I, I was upset when they delayed it, but I wasn't going to... God, I was, I'm willing to wait until they make a good product. Jesus Christ. Um, right, so lesson learned. And for a lot of lot of big industry things, because Cyberpunk was going to be the, the flagship of uh, Benchmark for future big world games. but uh, And it still is. When you look at the heart, the compassion, the dialogue, the gameplay, it's not perfect, but goddamn, is it a well-made game? I mean, you play that game and you know you're playing a better game. It is a high-quality game. You feel the compassion the developers poured into it. You're just hung up on the technical difficulties, and unfortunately, it's broken. It is broken for so many people, they can't even play it, and it sucks. So once they get that fixed, I think people realize how good this game is, but that really hurt Cyberpunk. But they had a good game, they had a good core. So CD Projekt Red, Arcane Studios, Obsidian. Uh, personally, me, I think Machine Games top tier um wolfenstein has yet to fail me i didn't play youngblood i know that didn't do as well and of course every studio has a dud here and there right so yeah wolfenstein youngblood put away but the new wolfenstein stuff all that uh id software fucking crushing it of course they have a longer history and they're not always perfect but recently they've been killing it and there's something about the studios when you look at them and, and you and you hear what they have to say back to their community they're aware of what their fans want, and they make it. And they make sure that the game is not going to be a meme. <laughs> That's their benchmark. That's their starting point. They're like, let's not do a Fallout 76, people. It's not to say these other game developers or even publishers don't care about video games. If they didn't, they wouldn't be making them. 
and that they don't care about the community. If they didn't, they wouldn't be doing this, right? But maybe they're a little more uh, disconnected now for whatever reason. And you see that in the games. Madden copy and pasted certain things. EA doesn't care anymore. They're getting lazy and sloppy. Ubisoft is in certain regions doing that as well with maybe some parts of the division and goes recon breakpoint and all these things. And that's regardless of the sexual scandals that they've been under from their uh, heads, which need to be corrected immediately. You shouldn't have a hostile work environment and sexual harassment shouldn't be in question. Ever. It's awful. So... I wouldn't have picked Ubisoft to kick that shit off, to, to start a new <laughs> start. I would have done, I actually would have done Bethesda, but I would have specifically told Bethesda to A, not make it exclusive under Xbox, right? That's That would be cool for a Star Wars game. And to not let Bethesda, the people who've done Fallout right now, do it. Get, uh, get Arcane Studios to make a game, and then get Machine Games to make a game. And then id Software. You have three different types of Star Wars games. They don't have to be open world massive scale, right? One can be about, and here's my ideas. I'm going to pitch you a few cool ideas that are not new. They're just me kind of rehashing what everybody else is thinking. A Mando-like game. I don't care if it's actually Mando and Baby Yoda or if it's just in that world, that time, that universe, those places. Weapons, everything. But a light action RPG, heavy action, light RPG mechanics where you build your own Mandalorian. You fight through a story quest, kick ass, take names, and maybe a multiplayer suite down the road. Third person, and maybe first person if they can pull it off, but at least third person. Ah, uh, hello. Wouldn't that be fucking amazing? <laughs> God. Um, you know, a uh, another thing like Jedi Fallen Order, right? Make some improvements, make some new mechanics, something like that. Uh, Another Battlefront. A good one. Not from EA. Whomever needs to make it. Oh, and here's another real good idea that I thought of last night when I was writing and, and drafting ideas for this podcast. Republic Commando. Remember that game? That was actually a really highly praised Star Wars game back in the day. Um, Make a new version uh, somewhat like that. Clone Wars. Elite Clone Wars. Not Clone Wars. Elite Clone troopers in a 5v5 or 6v6 more realistic military sim like Rainbow Six Siege or Onward or one of those kinds of games. Wouldn't that be cool? Indoor, close quarter combat, maybe some outdoor, mid-range, um, wave, round-based defense attack or, or just all out, like close quarters, uh, clone troopers, special regiments kicking the shit out of each other. Specialized clone operators with different uh, unique abilities. Make that by the people who made Rainbow or, or something like that. Since we're talking Ubisoft, they could do that, I guess. But any other studio could try to take a jab at that. That would be awesome. And quite frankly, if that was me and you handed those off, if you gave license to Ubisoft, Bethesda, and EA, or and maybe whomever else, and they let them, you know, we'd get a maybe an assassin, like a Jedi assassin sort of thing from uh, Arcane Studios. So using Jedi Force abilities like Dishonored sort of style. We've got a, uh, a single player, uh, you know, 
different action concepts. Maybe one that's taking place during the uh, Rogue One type of frame. The more two more gritty, realistic war sort of things for machine games and id software. If they want to take a stab at that, another more Jedi action thing from Respawn, and um, I I don't know. But do you see what I'm getting at here? You you have so many avenues and different studios who have who really know who knows their uh, sweet spot, right? Arcane Studios and Machine Games, they all, it's after, they all know what they're good at. Respawn. And, of course, they can do different things and branch out and try new things, but they know their pockets and they know how to hit them right. And so if you have a studio who knows how to make good games, who, who has made good games, who knows their pocket, knows what they're doing, and then you give them a Star Wars game that can kind of fit within that. You don't give... Uh, maybe even Bungie takes a jab at it. That'd be kind of cool. Um, you don't give, uh, I don't know. You don't give Sledgehammer Games an open world Star Wars game. They see where that, you know, they made COD World War II and Advanced Warfare. Not, they shouldn't be on COD anymore. They've just made bad duds every time. But, um, you see how that wouldn't work? That's just not their thing. Actually, it might be, considering they're terrible at making it. They might actually be better at doing that. But do you see my point? We kind of know from their reputation. We have their resumes in front of us. We know what games these studios have made, how many are bangers, how many are, are not. And, and then we can gauge kind of what would be good. And if I was Bob Iger, if I was um, the head of Lucasfilm's games, if I was the head of Ubisoft, Bethesda, whomever, and I had some say over who should get a next Star Wars property, I would not only divide different parts of the galaxy, you're going to do a Mando game, you're going to do this and that, to the people who would really hone in on it. Because A, that's different types of Star Wars for everybody. You might like the assassin action game, you might like the open world sprawling game, you might like the RPG, you might like the multiplayer combat, you might like the single player, you know? It opens the the horizon, and it also allows you to have more Star Wars games out within a consistent time frame not annually but two or three years at least not four games in a decade almost a decade so that's just four or five ideas from different studios who could take the mantle off the top that is not even me considering the multitude of other studios who could do it like obsidian who's been asking to come back into the door and now that that contract is open and they're big enough they could be let back in and make a uh, Knights of the Old Republic 3, which everybody's been asking for. And it's really up to Disney. I mean, Ubisoft's got their game now, and they got to deal with that. And God bless the souls that have to do that. I would probably hang myself if I had to make an open world Star Wars game. A massive open world. But I am excited to see where it goes. I'm hoping it's good. But I'm skeptical. But I do hope the best for that game and the future of these Star Wars games. I guarantee you in the next few months we'll see more announcements, especially around when E3 would usually happen, um, about a few more Star Wars games. They're te Disney's teeing up for longevity now, finally. So we'll see where it goes, but I hope, I hope Disney's finally going to put their finger on the scale more than just a contract absolving, but also to say, this studio would do this game perfectly. Let's see what they can do. There's no reason not to. Star Wars will always sell. And you look at the greats. Mozart, Beethoven, Kendrick. No. <laughs> no, but Kendrick too, I guess. Eminem, uh, Michael Jackson, Prince, Madonna, all these people. Great artists. 
Spielberg, Scorsese. Tarantino's rare. That's different. They have large bodies of work. Hundreds of songs, thousands of compilations, thousands of demos and attempts, hundreds of movies, hundreds of writings, and all these things. They churn out content, and not everything's golden. Not everybody loves Eminem's fact. Not everybody listens to the B-side of Prince. Not everybody loves Hook. But it gives them time to fail, to improve, but it also lets them learn and makes them more suited to make a better album, a better film, a better video game. Not everything's perfect, and that's not how it's going to be. So you, you broaden that horizon. You allow these studios to experiment with Star Wars. Star Wars isn't going anywhere. You can take more hits. As long as you set the benchmark to say not as controversial or as hurtful as Battlefront 2 and not as poorly made as whatever game you want to compare that to. As long as you set those benchmarks and you say we're aiming for this quality, Fallen Order quality, or aiming for Rainbow Six or Battlefield quality. You set those parameters and you give it to five or six studios and they make their version of Star Wars, whatever that may fit. And then you have a universe and a galaxy far, far away that is much happier in the gaming world. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate you hearing me blabber on about Star Wars, video games, movies, and nerd shit like that. But I do love it. Uh, and maybe Lucasfilm is listening and hire me. Just an idea. All joking aside, I do appreciate all the support. We're almost at 400 total listens on my podcast, and I'm blown away. When I started this channel, I um, I honestly didn't think much of it. I just wanted to try it. I love talking endlessly about shit I like. And I figured, why not? do it in front of the microphone instead of making my girlfriend want to kill me and my parents want to kill themselves. So I decided to do this. Maybe help um, show you all a different side of me. Not one that's constantly rapping terrible rhyme schemes and or making sad movies and or talking about making a movie but never actually making it because of a fucking pandemic. Um, but this is another facet of me, a Star Wars nerd, a gamer, somebody who does copious amounts of research. Some of it not always verified. So don't take all my words and my information as pure fact. Unless I say I've... This is from John Hopkins University or something, you know. But anyway, 400 listens almost, and I haven't even been doing this for a full year. So, oh no, I have. I've been doing this for... It's 2021, I forgot. Happy New Year's, everybody, by the way. But yes, it's a little over a full year now. Um, that's amazing. I didn't think anything of that. And I, I'm so, so very glad you were all tuning in. I've got another episode coming up uh, soon. And it's going to be about me talking and reviewing, giving my first impressions on my Oculus Quest 2. I'm new to VR. And I'm fucking loving it. So thank you, everybody, once again. I appreciate you all. Please, please go check out my music. I do work very hard on that. And I am trying to be a rapper. Uh, also check out my short films and uh, support me in any way you can, whether on social media, sharing me, liking, commenting, liking this uh, podcast, if you made it all the way through. Thank you for that. That alone does enough for me. Whatever you do, thank you. And I appreciate all the support and looking forward to conveying more thoughts to you in the future. Peace.